Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I welcome Mark Corona to the podcast to talk about all things marketing, why you should consider fractional leadership help as you grow, and why strategic planning is critical to scale a business in 2021. I think it always has been even more so today. Mark is a fractional CMO and a partner at Chief Outsiders an author, and also the host of the Practical CMO podcast. Mark's been around a long time and has been in this industry, everything from a CIO to now, you know, the last 10 years in, in marketing, and is really good and practical approach to growing your business. So no matter where your company is in their growth journey, this episode will be a great primer on how to think maybe a little bit differently and how to plan for growth. Now, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Mark. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, Brett. Appreciate the opportunity to join you today. No, I'm excited. It's always good. It'll be interesting to have podcast hosts interviewing podcast hosts, but <laughs> it'll be a lot of fun. That sounds dangerous somehow, doesn't it? Well, at least we should be able to lead each other into questions, I suppose. But yeah, uh, I, I think so. But we'll be waiting for someone else to answer, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true. But anyway, I've, I've definitely been looking forward to this episode. You know, we started chatting the latter part of last year. And so to get us started, why don't you, you know, tell the audience a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today, and then we'll dive in. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Well, I've got, I don't know, some would say sort of a storied career, but it's just a long career basically. But I, today I'm, I'm a, a partner and fractional chief marketing officer with a firm called Chief Outsiders. And we are the, the largest firm of, uh, of CMOs in the U.S. There's 75 plus of us located around the country. And we basically go into organizations. Um, typically, there's a growth challenge. They might be a good business operator, but they're not necessarily good at planning for future revenue and profit streams. And, and that often, often is sort of what, why they invite us to work with them on their leadership team, is to kind of help figure out their growth plan, their business strategy, and then you know, develop a marketing strategy and a go-to-market plan that can help realize that. So I'm a little different than a lot of uh, my colleagues and chief outsiders, just because besides being um, a chief marketing officer, I've also been a CIO and a COO, and uh, I've been a managing director of a couple of businesses as well. So, you know, I, I kind of consider myself to be a fairly experienced business executive, but, you know, with a deep passion for marketing and particularly with business development and growth. Yeah, it's that's fantastic. I love the idea of, you know, a fractional fractional CMO. I mean, I think with my startup experience and working with companies, you know, they get some funding or they want to grow. The first thing they want to do is bring on full time headcount and you know, sales, marketing, sometimes customer success, and it may be the right thing to do. But maybe we could dig in a little bit first on you know how a fractional CMO works and why that may be something you know startups should consider as they're starting to look at growing their business. Yeah, well, you know the idea of a sort of uh, executive resource that you can rent, if you will, for as long as you need and for as much as you need 
is something that's actually started kind of in the late 80s with B2B CFOs, right? They were, I think they were the first formal organization to address the need for contract executives. Chief Outsiders has been around for 13, 14 years now, I think. And, you know, we've, we've had worked on a thousand different client businesses, you know, among the, the fractional executive businesses, because there's also you know, fractional sales executives and fractional IT executives. The the concept I think is getting better understood, Brett. I I would say there's still some education involved in help and even helping companies with an awareness that this is a a resourcing approach that they could tap into. You know, we don't we don't consider ourselves consultants. You know, we will acknowledge we do consulting, but our model is really to join a business's leadership team as their CMO for some period of time and for as much as as they need us and to work on those things that you know there that are current challenges or opportunities in their businesses and you know it might be that might be a one day a week kind of role it might be full time for a couple of months it really depends on what the business is trying to accomplish. And, you know, and our goal, of course, is to put the resources and the plans in place so that they can improve their business performance. And then when they say, okay, we got this, then, you know, we'll step into the background and do some coaching or mentoring or perhaps, you know, step out of the picture. So it's a very sort of uh, business driven needs and you kind of configure what you need and when you need it and how much of that kind of a resource you need. Yeah, it's a great idea. And I think, you know, with especially with the audience of this podcast or, you know, B2B founders looking or considering about scaling their business, right? So if we look at it from, you know, half a million in revenue, trying to get up to that that 10 million in revenue, it's all about growth, right? And it's all about marketing. And you're right, you may not need a full-time resource at that point. So maybe that's a good transition into, hey, it's now 2021, right? The pandemic is still with us, unfortunately, kind of changed the way we, we do business. So I'd love to get your kind of your perspective, right, as you think about growth and maybe how that's changed in the last 12 months, you know, mm-hmm. looking at, you know, some of these startups and maybe we can kick it off from there. Yeah, I think the pandemic has changed things. If nothing else, Brett, it's really given uh, business executives sort of a sense of urgency to revisit their growth plan. You know, and a lot, a lot of businesses going into 20, I mean, I've got some businesses I've been working with actually for a couple of years on a part-time basis. And, you know, one of them has got more business coming out of the pandemic than they had going in, right? And if you say, well, how can that happen, right? I mean, yeah, they did have their couple of months of downturn, but, you know, the, the strategies we had in place, the markets we were focusing on, the marketing plan and the lead generation programs that we had in place, all, and we didn't cut back anything, but all that really contributed to when, when sort of the, the economy started coming back in September, you know, they went from, gee, we're, you know, we're, we're struggling to fill our capacity to having excess, <laughs> excess demand. And now we're outsourcing, believe it or not, right? So I, I think the more there's two points to that story. One of them is uh, businesses need to revisit their plans and their priorities on a regular basis. And I think for a lot of businesses that sort of said, oh, well, you know, we're in this market and these are our customers and we're okay with that um, and maybe did pretty well with that on an ongoing basis before, now we're maybe prompted to kind of rethink that, right? You know, there's a 
there's an investment banker, a good friend of mine, and he says, you know, you can't manage what you can't see clearly. He goes, and a lot of companies cannot see their future clearly. Right. And, you know, his recommendation is that you need a very well-defined, supported, high-confidence growth plan so that you can manage your business. And by the way, if you're going out for any kind of growth capital, you know, whether it's from angel investors or PE or, and, you know, any other form of uh, outside investment, you're going to need a highly credible growth plan because that is the core of your business strategy, right? Right. And so, you know, as companies look to grow on the back end of the pandemic, you know, having a, a very clear prioritized growth strategy so they know, you know, where, where are there opportunities in one year, two years, three years, maybe even out as far as five years, and they're starting to put plans in place to drive towards those new revenue and profit streams, that becomes pretty critical. Yeah, no, I, th- and I think we should, we can probably break that, that growth planning down a little bit because, you know, one thing that I've definitely learned from the podcast and, and the research is, you know, I've had the founders on that have scaled their businesses, right? It all, where they always get stuck and the ones that succeed get through this is the early stages, they, they're successfully selling into their network, right? So if you've been in the, the network mm-hmm. or in business for 20 years, your network's larger, you have some success selling it. It's when they have to start to sell and grow beyond their network, it was almost you know, universal, they've gone through that plateau. So I love the idea of a growth plan. So maybe we could take it from there. Hey, I'm a founder. I've been successfully selling into my network, but now, you know, if I'm going to reach out to the VC or or any kind of funding, not only a plan for them, but also for the business to, to expand. So I'd love to get your perspective on, you know, how you advise those startups to start thinking about that growth. Yeah. Well, you know, I've done a lot of work in my career, setting up business incubators and accelerators inside of large corporations because they need to grow too. And, you know, sometimes um, they're so big and they're so fixed on kind of historic markets and historic products that they can't think or innovate very effectively into new, new potential growth areas. And I've also set up business incubators and accelerators for private companies. I think that the value is that you need to kind of lay out where you think the business is going to go over a period of time in a way that it be, and, and you, and you manage it as part of your, your ongoing management discipline, you know, whether you're an EOS shop or you use traction or you use something else, right? This needs to be embedded in your management disciplines, this whole idea of, okay, I, obviously I need to think about, you know, this month's revenue and this quarter's revenue and this year's revenue. But, you know, the challenge is always that the long-term growth planning always takes a secondary role to, well, you know, we need more revenue this month or this quarter, right? Right, right, right. It's, it's just natural. And when I, when I recognized that years ago, I, and, and I was actually working at Deluxe Corporation in St. Paul, uh, running an internal business incubator, you know, there were no processes or procedures or anything that was really a very well-defined approach to growth planning and growth execution. And a few years after I'd, I set up that, that incubator, uh, a couple of McKinsey guys wrote a book called The Alchemy of Growth, which laid out a model called Horizon Growth, which basically says, you know, if you take a look at your business and you say, well, 
where are my new revenue and profit streams? And I, and I always say, I mean, it's not always revenue, right? We always should be talking about profitable revenue streams because revenue just for revenue sake is just not a good goal for anybody. But where, where are my new profitable revenue streams going to come from in a year or two years or three years or five years? And it lays, there, you know, this alchemy of growth model laid out, you know, three horizons, H1, H2, H3, that kind of correspond to those years. And, and you go, okay, well, this makes a lot of sense, right? But the challenge is that every day, every month, you need to be do working, doing something to make all of those revenue streams a reality, right? You can't wait until three years out and then go, oh, you know, now where do I get my next $20 million of revenue, right? Right. right. And I, I can share one example. It's a, it's a large corporate example, but it's, it's equally appropriate, I think, for startups and SMBs. You know, I was managing the uh, credit card business at uh, U.S. Bank in Minneapolis, the corporate card and purchasing card. And, you know, that, that organization had very explicit annual growth goals and everybody knew what they were, right? It's a payment business. We we're supposed to grow 20% top line and 20% bottom line every year. And you'd say, well, wait a minute, that's that's pretty aggressive for a large corporation, right? But it was aggressive and on purpose. And they loved that business because it was a fee-based transaction business. You know, so one day, and we do these roll-ups out five years. And one day, vice chairman I was working for called me up and he said, you know, Mark, we got a problem and you got to start working on it right now. You know, we've just done our roll-up and three years from now, we're going to be $200 million short of our revenue and, and profit target. So, so, you know, give up every, give away everybody that works for you and all the products you're managing today, find a home for them in the organization and start working on filling that $200 million gap. And, you know, uh, and I said, okay, that's great. So, you know, what ideas are there? What constraints or, you know, would you put around? He goes, no, because none, because you figure out what you think is most appropriate for the bank. And, uh, and oh, by the way, here's an acquisition that you can explore if you're interested, right? So he, they didn't wait three years from now and then go, oh, gee, where do we come up with an extra 200 million, right? right. The whole idea was recognizing that problem years before it actually surfaced and being proactive and trying to fill that gap before we actually got to that point, right? Yeah. And, and that was great recognition of how to do this effectively. And in the end, by the way, I convened a, um, I call it United Nations of Payments. I got some of the leading payments people in the world together for the better part of a week. And we brainstormed 88 new payment ideas. And, uh, and then we filtered them down and ultimately the bank executed two of them. And we did the acquisition and that, and that basically filled the 200 million. So we did get there, but we would have never gotten there if we would have waited two or, or, you know, maybe even in that third year and then go, okay, now what do we do? Right. Right. You know, then you're almost forced to make an acquisition, which you don't want to have to do when you're in that position. Cause then you don't, you know, lots of bad things can happen with the acquisition. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, out of necessity versus opportunity, right? And I like that because I think one of the things I see, and I'm guessing you probably do as well, that a lot of these, you know, entrepreneurs and founders don't have a plan, right? Hope is their strategy, right? Going into it. And what I kind of liked is looking at the different horizons because, you know, the revenue is going to have to come in, you know, this week, this month, this quarter, yeah. 
but look at the bigger picture of where you're trying to go to. Because even to use the example, we're trying to get to 10 million in annual revenue, right? Right. What things do you have to sell at your average price to get there? And there's usually not, I shouldn't say usually, that's not always what the thinking is. It's they're right. just hustling every day to try to get there, but not breaking it down, knowing I have to sell yeah. you know, X number of widgets in order to, to get to that goal. You know what, Brett, and it is all about reviewing those assumptions, right? When I when I look at anybody's business plan and their financials, the last thing I want to look at is uh, kind of their roll up. How does this thing all come together, right? The first thing I want to look at is all your assumptions related to customer acquisition, average order sizes, retention, you know, all those things. Because if I don't believe your assumptions, then I know that your, 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 the numbers that you rolled up uh, based on those assumptions are not going to carry any, any weight. Right. right. And, and so I've also, I also have this, I call it the Mark's in a law inverse law of spreadsheets, which is the fancier, the spreadsheet, the more I question the content, right? <laughs> just, it's just one of those things where it's kind of like, you know what, if you give me just a plain old spreadsheet, and we can look at the assumptions that helps me uh, gain some confidence, but the prettier the spreadsheet, the less comfortable I feel that you actually have done the work on, you know, thinking through the assumptions and they're not just revenue assumptions. I mean, they're investment assumptions as well. Right. Right. You know, when are you going to bring on the next one of these, right? How much capital do you need for infrastructure development? Right. All those things. Uh, and so I think that, the challenge for a lot of startups and small businesses is that, you know, to do a credible plan is, is work. And I mean, even to do the research on different markets is, can take a lot of work, right? right? And so when you say, well, I think I want to be in, you know, these five markets, right? Well, you know, why do you want, why do you like those five markets, right? You know, I had a couple of years ago, I was working with a business and they're like, oh, we, we, uh, we think there's great growth in craft brewing and, you know, legal hemp processing. It's like, okay, well, let's look at those markets. And, you know, yeah, at, at one market, the, the legal hemp market was actually projected to just explode, right? In terms of overall growth, the craft brewing market, by the time they got to it, had already plateaued. You know, and, and I said, well, wait a minute, this isn't going to get us to where we need to get to. Let's go back some of your core markets and see where if there isn't growth opportunity inside your core markets. And we actually we did. And we went back to their, you know, big in food and beverage and dairy processing. And, and by a focusing on it was it was a both. Right. It was let's let's build. Let's kind of reinvigorate some core markets. And, yeah, we can be in some of these expansion markets, but let's not bet the company on the expansion markets. And thank goodness we did that. I mean, they ended up with two record years. If they would have just worked on the expansion markets, they would have been very disappointed in their revenue results. Yeah. Right. No, it makes, so, makes a lot of sense. And, you know, even to, to dig in a little bit on that too, I think, right. I, Cause I definitely have folks on the podcast that are more tactics driven from growth, right. It's like paid LinkedIn ads was a fascinating episode. Cause I didn't realize how big that market is. But oh yeah. Too often we don't, we go straight to the tactics and not spend right. time on the planning and even tying it back to where you talked about the metrics, right. Know your numbers. So if you, if you're projecting, you're going to hit the 10 million, but your average deal size is going to double and your cost of acquisition is going to be in half based on what, assumptions so even if you are going to run the tactics to drive measure it right it's 
you right. got to put the time and the, the, the effort into, uh, it doesn't have to be super sophisticated to your point. I'm not a yeah. uh, spreadsheet junkie in this. Sense. No, this no, it's not. It's, it's the quality of the content, not the quality of the format. Right. Right. And, you know, I've, I've told teams that I've worked with for years, like, look, when you're, whether you're inside of a corporation and you're looking for, you know, investment to sort of help them, branch out or you're, uh, you know, you've got your own business and you're looking for investment. There's three P's that investors look at, right? Past performance, the quality of your, the, your plan and the people that you've got. I mean, those are, those are, everybody comes back to those three things, right? Yeah. How did you do in the past? What's the quality of your plan? Is your plan believable, credible? Have you backed it up? And do I believe in you? Do I believe in the people are going to execute this, right? Well, you know, when you're a startup, maybe you've done things in your past that will help kind of gain some credibility in terms of past performance. I mean, there are serial entrepreneurs, right? That's right. kind of done startups, you know, and then did another one, did another. Well, I mean, you know, there are guys that are sort of famous for that. But so that one can be a little bit dicey, the past performance. This is your first startup. The quality of your plan, you have full control over that right? You want the most believable, credible, vetted plan that you can possibly get. And then you've got to be able to sell yourself and your team, even if it's a small group of people as, you know, as, as and their expertise is competent to, to execute that plan. And, and so, you know, bringing in a fractional marketing uh, CMO or other fractional executives actually can help add to the credibility of your team, right? Because maybe you haven't done this before, but if you bring in, you know, part-time executives that are part of your management team, probably they have. And so, you know, your whole business gains some credibility based on their past performance. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And and again, coming back to the growth of a business, it starts with, with marketing, right? There's, it's hard to break out branding from, you know, the traditional marketing, you know, acquisition type tactics, but you know, I think the days, you know, I kind of grew up in a sales organization, but also spent time with demand generation. I think it's all, you know, everything we talked a little bit being digitally driven, right? To reach yeah. markets, cold calling is almost impossible. So setting up your organization for growth is is got to be led with yeah. the brand or the marketing first. So, yeah. Well, and, you know, the challenges, the pandemic challenges, of trying to reach remote workers when you don't have their cell phone numbers, you don't have their, you know, email addresses if they're not in the office, or if you're trying to reach people with traditional marketing that you think are in the office and they're not in the office, right? right. I mean, this is guy. This has sort of introduced some very interesting communications challenges that were they were there before. But now, you know, I, I heard a, a gentleman speak a couple of weeks ago, Brett, and he said, you know what, prior to the pandemic, 7% of the workforce was remote. Post-pandemic, even as things kind of normalize at whatever that sort of steady state becomes, 20 to 30% of the workforce will be working remotely. That's a permanent restructuring of how and where people work, Right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, whoa, what does that mean? You know, sure, more digital is obvious, you know, if you're not if you're not effectively using digital programs for customer engagement, for customer acquisition, for 
customer development, customer retention, right? I mean, and the, of course, the challenges so for a, a lot of businesses, there's so many different programs right. and so many different applications. So how do you pick those? So, I mean, there are 8,000 sales and marketing applications today, Brett. I don't think people would even guess that there would be that many. If you saw the if you saw like a chart of them all, I mean, it's just, you know, it's unbelievable how quickly they've explode, exploded. And so how do you know which ones are, would even be relevant? You know, and so, and you don't want to, you know, I, I think the secret is for a lot of business successes early on is you got to maximize the amount of time you spend on your business, building products, building services, talking to prospects, talking to customers. You can't be spending a lot of time on the back end stuff and on your infrastructure because you won't you won't get there fast enough, right? Right. And and so that's that's sort of an argument for a very nimble, lean, flexible business model, you know, with potentially outsourced services that can help you uh, move quickly, keep your costs variable, uh, allow you to pivot, right? And and you know. If somebody can say, well, you don't need to look at 8,000 applications here. There's only two that really are really matter. Take a look at these two and you trust that person and their recommendation, then you're going to be way better off than you are wasting a ton of time going, you know, trying to figure out what, you know, what should I use for this and what should I use for that? Right. Yeah. I love the idea of coming backwards from the customer's perspective, right? So instead of sales enablement, you know, it's about buyer enablement. And if you took that step back, looked at from the customer or the prospect, how they want to buy, and can you meet them where they need to be? And if you looked, you know, back to the process of it, it doesn't have to be super detailed, right? But understand those steps that those, those buyers are going to go through, what information they're looking for. It'll help you make those decisions on what to automate and what tools to use versus the default, which is, oh, this is the latest technology. I need to go do this. Probably not, right? There's, mm-hmm. To your point, there's probably only a couple that really can you know, help you optimize your business, if you will, but you got to have a process before you know, writing checks for technology. Well, yeah. And you know, I think the processes that you automate, particularly those that are in the front end of your business, you know, are, are important because they can help drive productivity in your organization at the same time as, uh, you know, making your business more attractive to prospects and making it more effective with existing customers. You know, a few years ago, I was working with a chemical distributor and they're like, well, we, we think we're behind the curve. Our competitors are doing a lot of front end automation, but we don't know how to even think this through. We don't know what processes we should consider and, so we actually said, okay, let's let's kind of make a map of every all the, the forms of customer contact that we could have, and then let's understand whether those would be important to us to automate, right? In other words, whether they would drive some operational efficiencies in our business. But then we also took those same that same list of um, candidates, process candidates, and surveyed customers and said, well, what's most important to you? And and then we matched them, right? So the things that went to the high high on our list were things that customers said, hey, if you did this, this would be really great. And and we looked at it and we said, hey, it would be really great for us too, because we'd be able to save save some support costs, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's always a question of among all the things we could do, what are the ones that we should do, right? And you've got to have that outside in view 
to to be effective in in setting those priorities. I think you're you're absolutely right. You know that that outside in view of customers and competitors and markets is so critical. I think to to any startup being effective, right? And you yeah you want you want those early startup the early customers to be very successful and be able to build on that. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, one of the things that I've been advocating lately, which because I spent, you know, a good portion of my career in larger B2B companies is the ability for these startups to be very nimble. You, you kind of touched on it before with variable cost, take the expense. And I don't remember who I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday that spent also a lot of time in more traditional legacy B2B companies. And it comes down to the operating budgets of each of the silos, right? So marketing, sales, product, everybody's got their own budgets, their own metrics, their own goal. And as we are starting to pivot and the buyer expectations are changing, it's going to be really hard for those big companies to make that pivot because they've got to cut across so many different organizations to do it. But where you were kind of talking, set up the right processes up front, you know, you can keep a lot of expense and the customers prefer it, right? They don't want to mm-hmm. be handed off like handshakes every time they go through the, your org. So I know we're getting a little off topic from marketing, but I think it's important that, you know, upfront to, to think about it that way versus, hey, I just got to go. People are important, but you know, lead with the, the process and the planning. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of discussion right now about sort of what's next for marketing, what's next for sales, right? And there's, there's been a lot of conversation actually goes back some number of years about marketing taking on the role of growth champion for a business, right? I mean, sales has got the the kind of current year growth and revenue and profit. I mean, it clearly, you know, that's their their responsibility. But who worries about next year, two years out, three years out, five years out, right? And sort of setting up those accountabilities that way could get an organization to sort of get the best of both worlds. So they have you know, executive accountability for uh, this year and performance, but they also have executive accountability for what's next, right? And so that concept of marketing as a growth champion, I think, is taking hold. The other thing is, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about how you really can't have sales and marketing operating independently in any size organization to be successful. You know, I, I just wonder if down the road, those two functions don't blend into something called revenue operations or whatever. Right. Right. Because I mean, historically, I mean, they grew up different ways with different, you know, but, but they're really all, if they're not integrated and aligned and working hand in hand, it's, it's just, you know, it sub-optimizes the performance of any business. I don't care if you're a startup or you're a, you know, billion dollar corporation. Right. No, I a hundred percent agree with, with you. And I think, you know, the way I use the, uh, the analogy is, especially with startups looking to, well, we're growing, so I'm going to hire, you know, sales folks and maybe the right answer. But, you know, to me, sales is still, you know, hand-to-hand combat. I can bring the best salesperson in the world. They're going to hit quota, do their job, but I can't scale off of that. So what are you doing to reach the people that, you know, to create the awareness, to create those types of things it's not one-on-one. So if you're really serious about scaling your business, I don't, I hundred percent agree that you got to yeah. think about it. Who's going to be responsible for that, that growth sales absolutely has a role and that's not going to change it. But I just think 
reaching those new audiences, it's really expensive if you're doing it <laughs> one yeah. at a time. So yeah, I think well, it's really interesting. And, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of research on this goes back years, but the cost of a poor sales hire can be a couple million dollars easily by the time you look at, well, what did it cost me to recruit them and then train them? And then how productive were they? And then I've got termination costs and I've got opportunity costs. And then I've got costs because it's going to take me some time to kind of fill that role. Right. Right. And so I was uh, talking to somebody and they're like, Oh, we have to hire these two new salespeople. It's like, okay, but who are they going to call on and what's their value proposition? Well, we don't know that, but we need to hire two salespeople. And it's, I said, you know, I think you got this out of order. I don't even know if you need two new salespeople, right? I mean, there may be other channels to go to market that are more productive, more effective and efficient than hiring two new salespeople. But if, you, if you're sort of got that stuck in your head, I need two more salespeople. I mean, maybe you do. But with, without the context and without the strategy, I think that could be a, a non-starter. You, I don't think you necessarily going to have high confidence in the results you, you'd get from that approach. No, I 100% agree with you. I think that that's right. And, you know, the other interesting thing with talk with some of the folks, especially that the tag, like the paid Facebook ads, right? Some of the tactics to drive customers, the number of companies that don't actually have a plan to process those leads when they actually get people that oh. call and pick up the yeah. phone. Yeah. 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 There's nothing, there's nothing that always, you know, it's driven me crazier than companies go out and they actually really do a fairly effective job of lead generation and then drop them on the floor. And they don't, you know, either there's too many and then, you know, not that they don't get, they don't get qualified quickly enough or, uh, or they're poor quality. And so you waste a lot of time and then, you know, and then you find the one out of a hundred that might actually be a decent uh, match your profile of an ideal customer. Right. But yeah, you've got to think it all the way through. I mean, you know, from from identification through qualification and closing and and then ongoing servicing. Because if if you don't and you just sort of focus on one part of that process, you you won't probably see the quality results and performance lift that you're really looking for. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, because one of the things at a you know, previous boss, you know, sales CRO, different titles, different organizations, but the one thing that he taught me early on was, you know, ARE, right? It's acquisition, retention, expansion. Do you have a plan for all three? Most, most organizations don't, right? And I mean, those are the three revenue levers you have as a company. So if you've got somebody in there, what are you doing to keep them? Are you marketing? How do you expand what they're buying from you today? Right. And how do you go get the new ones? And again, it sounds simple, but you know, there's just a lack of, you know, planning around those, even in large organizations, they, they would have trouble articulating what their, their strategy is for each of those. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've just done some work for business and um, they're actually really good. I mean, they've had a couple of record years, but somehow somebody asked a question and they started diving into their sales and order information. And they discovered that their ability to sell any customer, a second product, was pretty limited. And it's kind of like, well, wait a minute, they liked us, we get, you know, really good satisfaction scores, and, you know, strong uh, net promoter scores. So people really like working with us. 
but why don't they reorder? And so we dug into that and it was like, oh my gosh, there was some real learnings there once we peeled, went behind that curtain, right? right. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're in the process of um, fixing it, right? But that'd be the middle part of your, of your model, right? I mean, I, I think IBM used to call the same steps, sell, install, protect, right? Yeah. Or sell, expand, protect. And, and it's, it's a simple model. It's still an effective model. It's a great way to think. On the retention side too, you know, these guys were losing, you know, I, I mean, I worked for a business that was losing 40% of their customers in year two, and they thought that was okay. Really? They were, you know, they were a direct marketer. It's like, why would anybody think that was okay? You know, if I was in a field sales job and I lost 40% of my customers, you'd fire me. Right. Wow. <laughs> so why, does, why is it okay? Just because you consider yourself a direct marketer. I just, I don't buy that. Yeah, just think how much harder you have to work to backfill, you know, like plugging the holes in a boat, <laughs> right? You're pouring right. revenue in there, but it's leaking out the bottom. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? And that I think that, that there's a sort of a point I want to make, too, because I want to take us back to the sort of startups and the pandemic. You know, the Boston Consulting Group has done some fabulous research on what happens to businesses during and after a recession. And they've looked at the last eight or nine recessions. And one thing that they realize is companies who've got a good plan to come out to take advantage of the economic tailwinds that are there outperform their peers by 15%. In other words, you can get a 15% increase in your market share if you have a good plan and you, and you have a sense of urgency coming out of uh, any, any recession, right? And it's a 15% sustainable advantage. Well, you know, Brett, I mean, think about what that would cost you to get 15% additional market share in any normal economic environment, right? Yeah, it'd be expensive. And you might not even be able to do it. And so the point is, guys, act now. I mean, this is the time to, to figure out where your opportunities really are. And you know, I looked at some of the ITR economic data just yesterday, their December data. I mean, the economic tailwinds are there. When you look at some of the leading indicators, you know, they're predicting a very strong recovery and one that lasts through in the, well, at least into the second half of 22. Okay. And so it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't anybody want to take advantage of it today? Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. And specifically in the, the B2B space, you know, one of the things, and I know you and I have talked about this, you know, screaming from the mountaintops that, you know, transformation's coming, the buyer's expectations are changing. And most orgs, especially the older established, are just, it's like turning the Titanic and slow. Well, the, the pandemic basically slammed the door on its changing to its change, right? You, you mentioned the, the work from home or the remote is going to be 30%. That may even be light, but buyer expectations are going to change, right? Why do I have to talk to a salesperson in order to purchase this product? I mean, mm -hmm. just so much opportunity for a startup if they can get it right right now, even selling the exact same product or solution that a, an established company is, but you could do it just more efficiently. So I'm, yeah. I hadn't heard that economic data, but I think it just, now is the time. Right? Yeah. Don't now, wait. now don't wait, right. If you don't have a good plan, uh, take advantage of the strength in an economy. You really need to. I mean, and, and the applications can be pretty simple. You know, I've looked at number of markets. I mean, I've got one business I've worked with for a while, uh, it's in the metal fabrication space. And, you know, we've looked at five or six different markets that were interesting to us. 
And one of the decisions, one of the criteria we're using sort of prioritize those markets is how fast those markets are recovering and the growth potential in those markets, right? Because it's like, well, why wouldn't I want to take advantage of the energy market, particularly with an incoming administration that's going to probably put a lot of money into solar again, right? I mean, why wouldn't I do that? I, you know, it, it would give us, that's the form of a tailwind that we could definitely take advantage of. So, you know, some of it's just matching your priorities with the market opportunities. And it's not always about, is the market big? But, you know, you also have to answer the question, is it, it not is the market good, but is the market good for us? Because just because it's a big, you know, high growth market doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, any businesses position to take advantage of that effectively. No, it makes, makes perfect sense. And that may be a good, I want to be respectful of your time. We can end on that positive note of the economics. And there is opportunity. I 100% agree with you. Have a plan, know your process. But what I do want to do is close with the two questions I always end with. So, you know, we're now into 2021. What's, what's next for you? What are you focused on here in the early part of this year? You know, right now, it seems like the one theme that keeps coming up over and over again that I'm working with businesses on a need to diversify. Too, too many companies have too few customers and too few markets. And, you know, I've got a couple of businesses I'm, I'm supporting right now that basically are, you know, 80% of their business is one customer, yeah. which, which is also means it's one market, right? Right, right. And it's like, well, you know, that's just not a great risk position to be in, right? I think diversification is important, but, um, and maybe, you know, you weren't diversified during the, this pandemic and you might've had been in a market that got hammered, right? I mean, if you were a restaurant equipment supplier, uh, you yeah. probably gotten hammered, right? And now you're thinking about, well, what else could I, should I uh, do, right? So I think that's a big theme in the market. And then the other one is flexibility, Brett. You know, things are going to change. You know, we, you know, back a year ago, you know, we all thought this pandemic was a two-week issue. And then we thought it was a two-month issue. And now we all recognize it's a two-year issue, right? And so you've got to have the flexibility to sort of pivot quickly when opportunities present themselves, but still you need to have a plan. So you're not just doing things, you know, you mentioned earlier about, so, well, maybe we can do this thing in marketing or we can do LinkedIn advertising, you know, and the chief outsider's language, we call that random acts of marketing. <laughs> and uh, it's sort of doing stuff without a plan, right? And if you do that, you're probably not measuring it. And you're probably not getting the maximum return on, on your investment either, but. I like it. I mean, I'll give you full attribution when I use that, but I love that because it's so true with, mm. without it. So, all right. Then in closing, the one question I ask everybody is what is one thing you, Mark, would, would highly recommend? It could be professional, personal, something that's you know top of mind for you. You know, I, I'd say it's like stay positive. You know, I mean, right now it's really easy to sort of kind of get, you know, feel the burdens and the stresses and whatever, but Gosh, there was a guy uh, I met uh, last fall and his whole thing was get moving. You know, it's like, there's never been a better time to innovate in business than right now. And I thought it was such a positive, empowering message. That's, that's what I would tell people is find the opportunities, get moving, right? Dig out, get your plan, get everybody organized, you know, get on track and, and get moving because there's probably a better future for you out there. 
Yeah, that's so true. And so good, right? Both personally and professionally, I think that's great advice. And, you know, I tend to try to go by the the half, the glass half full as much as possible. And I just, you know, life's, it's, you know, people say, well, you're, you're not a realist. Well, it is realistic. You can be optimistic though, right? <laughs> so yeah. Positive mindset never hurt anybody, I don't think. No, I don't think it did. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for doing this. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience learned a lot. You know, we talked about fractional CMO. So if folks want to reach out to you directly after this, learn more about Chief Outsiders, yourself, you know, what's the best way for, for folks to connect with you? Well, you can go to my LinkedIn profile. It's just Mark Corona, C-O-R-O-N-N-A. And or you can go to chiefoutsiders.com and you can find my profile there as well. So happy to talk to you um, and learn more about what you're trying to accomplish and see if there's not a way we can help you move faster. Yeah, it's awesome. And also you'd be remiss if we didn't mention the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's highly entertaining and informational, the practical CMO, right? <laughs> yeah, the practicalcmo.com. And if you, if, you, if you feel like you really need to get pumped up, listen to the October podcast with a gentleman named Kyle Arneson, because he's the guy that's the, he's like the keep moving guy, right? And, you know, he and I were on a, on a panel and he goes, I don't know why anybody's complaining about this pandemic. He goes, there's never been a better time to innovate in business. And everybody just, their jaws dropped, right? And it's kind of like, what? Who is this guy, right? And then he made his case for it. And honestly, it's, it's pretty compelling. So awesome. I'll also link to that in the show notes with all your contact info. And, you know, Mark, we'll probably have to bring you back here. Maybe we'll get into, you know, the second part of this year and we'll get an update and make sure all of our folks and listeners have their plans and right. You can't measure it. You can't, you can't drive it. So that's right. Yep. Yep. I'd, I'd be happy to come back anytime, Brett. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mark. You have a great rest of your day and, you know, we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Good luck, everybody. All the best. Cheers. 